0: What is up, everybody? Happy May. After a really weird half of March and April, we are already into May and hopefully a return to normalcy comes sooner rather than later. Hopefully you are healthy and happy out there uh, while we are all dealing with this crazy situation that is the coronavirus. A couple of things I want to hit on uh, before we get to our guest today. If there was anything that ever proved that the NFL draft is a inexact science, it's the class of 2017. I've always said that the first round in the NFL draft really has about a 50% hit rate, and that is holding true for the top 10 of the 2017 draft class. We get news last week that the Bears were declining the fifth-year option for their young quarterback Mitchell Trubisky of course of course Nick Foles. Now, in Chicago to compete with Trubisky, but that fifth-year option not picked up for Mitch. So that now means that four out of the top five picks in that 2017 NFL draft did not get their fifth-year options picked up. Trubisky at number two, Solomon Thomas at three, Leonard Fournette at four, and Titans wide receiver Corey Davis at five all had their fifth-year options declined. I find that absolutely fascinating. And how about this? Des Bryant getting his boxers all in a bunch because the Cowboys made the wise move to go out and sign Andy Dalton as a backup quarterback. Dez says, let's get Dak paid. Tony Romo got a couple of good deals, and Dak's still waiting for his first huge contract as the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dak's going to get paid. Sign that franchise tender. You're going to get $31 million this coming year. You're eventually going to be the highest paid quarterback in football. That's where he wants to be. Remember last uh, fall, it was reported that Dak turned down $33 million per year. He wants to be the highest paid guy in the league right now. And Right now, that's Russell Wilson at $35 million a year. Ben Roethlisberger right behind Russell at 34. And then it's Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff at 33 and a half. Kirk Cousins... At 33, and Carson Wentz at 32. The franchise tag has Dak slotted behind those two guys right now at 31 million. But as I said, he hasn't signed that yet. Uh, He wants that long-term deal, and you know what? He deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. I just don't understand anybody being upset with the signing of Dalton. This isn't about Dak. This is more about Dalton and Cooper Rush, who was slated to be the backup quarterback. The Deal that Dalton signed could be worth up to seven million dollars, but only three million is guaranteed. And Cooper Rush had a deal that was going to have 2.1 million guaranteed. So, if you're Jerry Jones and the Cowboys and something happens to Dak next season, the season's not over. They have Super Bowl aspirations, obviously, in Dallas. They had CeeDee Lamb to that offense, it should be explosive. Ezekiel Elliott has to be pumped because they're not going to be able to put eight men in the box anymore. So here's the deal: if Dalton is your backup quarterback, which he is now, you have one of the best backup quarterbacks in football. If that goes down, all is not lost. The season is not over. You still might be able to win a playoff game or two. Well, that's a good point. Now that I think of it, Dalton never did win a playoff game, but he did get the Bengals there four or five times during his uh, career in Cincinnati. He's a better backup quarterback than Cooper Rush and speaking of those Cowboys a man who was a a thorn in their side for many many years uh my buddy D'Angelo Hall is our guest this week a 14-year NFL veteran a three-time pro bowler who was the eighth overall selection of the Atlanta Falcons had some great stories about his uh four years in Atlanta Michael Vick was the quarterback there Uh, D hall lived through that dogfighting scandal, then signed a massive deal, $70 million to go play for the Raiders only to uh, be cut eight games into that deal. What the hell happens with that? We're going to get to the bottom of that story. And then he leaves to join the Redskins the same year Uh, during his time with the Redskins picked off Jake Cutler four times in one game. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that. Has some tremendous rookie stories as well from his time there in Atlanta, Jim Mora. His head coach there. He has a, a Mora slash Ferrari story that he tells us about and then goes a little bit into uh, partying in Vegas with uh, Paris Hilton and David Hasselhoff. A couple of stories you are not going to want to miss with D'Angelo Hall, our guest on episode four of the Helipod presented by Viore. Let's roll. It is the uh, latest edition of the Helipod. I didn't tell you what the name of the podcast the was. Helipod.
1: Before, before I like that. I like that.
0: D'Angelo Hall, 14-year NFL veteran, three-time Pro Bowler, uh, shares the NFL record with four interceptions in a game. If I remember correctly, that was courtesy of Jay Cutler in yeah. Chicago, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Jay gave me a couple gifts, so uh, put me in the record books, so. Much, much obliged. Thank you, Jay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was, there, was there ever an official thank-you card that you sent the caller? Uh,
1: nah, it wasn't. I probably should have, but his arrogance was, uh, you know, it was a turnoff. So I didn't send him a thank-you card.
0: Understandably yeah. uh, understandable why you didn't do that. Are we going to see D'Angelo Hall currently working for the NFL Network, <coughs> did some work with Fox last year. Are we going to see you become an assistant general manager first? Or
1: a coach in the NFL first? Oh man, <laughs> that's a tough question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, You're probably ooh, first. I don't know. I, I I have no clue. And the problem is, I'm I'm, I'm passionate about both. Like I understand how um, how you put a football team together to you know to win games. Um, you know I have my philosophies and you know how I would like things done as far as building a winning winning type of culture Um, but on the reverse of that you know I like helping develop talent as well you know I like being on the football field trying to coach up young guys unfortunately um, toward the end of my career the last four years I didn't get to play much you know I was always hurt and so You know, I was able to kind of mentor a lot of the young DBs and, you know, reach out and coach some of those guys. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. I didn't think I would, and coaching was definitely never on my radar. Um, But I had so much fun doing that that, you know, I feel like I got so much
0: knowledge that, you know, I need to share it. I feel like you got uh, those four years. I I kept waiting for you to retire. And then it would be three games, 11 games, three games, two games. But you, you lasted... 14 years in the league and you came in when you were just a baby you know so you went from kind of the young superstar to the old wily veteran almost overnight
1: yeah yeah and uh you know a lot of bumps in the road along the way um you know i can remember you know forcing my way out of atlanta uh, ended up in Oakland, getting cut in eight games in Oakland, and people thinking, "Oh, he must be this crazy dude." Um, and then finding my way to Washington and signing back with Washington, and then just the up and down um, of just football life in you know in DC, as you know mm-hmm. um, firsthand covering the team. Um, you know, it's been you know it's been a whirlwind for sure, but it does feel like I came in as a twenty-year-old dude who couldn't even go in a bar. Uh, And I left, you know, a 34-year-old man with, with, you know, with kids and a family. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's been a long road for sure.
0: That is the outline of just about everything we're going to talk about today. You came out of Virginia Tech. You were second-team All-American. You got a lot of pub because, like Charles Woodson in college, you played on both sides of the ball, had three touchdowns in one game. Um, You're the eighth overall pick. Mm -hmm. by Atlanta. And as you alluded to, you were super young, man. Came in at just 20 years old, couldn't even legally drink. Mm -hmm. What was that like and what do you remember most about that first year going from Blacksburg to Hotlanta?
1: Yeah, you know,
0: I really remember
1: leaving Blacksburg, not really wanting to leave, you know, not knowing if I was ready or not. Um, But college had just almost became too easy. You know, I would go through stretches of a a game in college and not have a team throw the ball my way. You know, also return punts. Every team would kick it out of bounds. And so for me, as a young player, I felt like the only way I could affect, help my team win was to try to affect the game, try to make a play. And being put in all those situations and not being able to help my team and make a play, you know, it was probably the most frustrating thing I went through um, as an athlete, especially being a young kid. And so, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer for me to try to at least see if I could, you know, go in the draft. And I turned my name in, and you know, they had me, I think maybe a second-round pick or something. And I'm smiling, laughing, because I, I, I'm so, I'm such a competitor. And you probably, yeah, I know, I know you know this. And so when I saw all the other dudes in front of me, I was just, like, you know, I started watching the film, but I kind of already knew some of the names and I'm kind of watching them and they not really getting out of their breaks and they kind of in really good schemes and they got, you know, a lot of talent around them when you think of guys at USC and Texas and, um, you know, Miami and Florida. And so, you know, I'm just smiling like, uh, if they think them dudes are better than me, I'm going to be the number one corner, hands down. And that was my mindset. And so for me, it was like, all right, I'm going into the draft. And I never, never imagined I would be a top 10 pick. Um, I just knew at the end of the day that I'm a competitor and I'm going to compete. I'm going to be a lot faster than people think because of my track background. And I've always played corner. I'm not a track guy who's a corner. I'm, I'm a corner who just happened to run track and be really, really fast. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I get thrown down in Atlanta. Never once spoke to the Falcons through the whole process. Um, but did have Michael Vick down there who was a little bit of a connection. Didn't know him a whole lot. He um, left Tech the year before you got he there? He left Tech the year before I got there. But... Doing my recruiting trips and stuff, you know, I met him a couple times and things like that and hung out with him. And so, you know, and and then even when I was in college and he was in the league, he would come back because his younger brother was there. So he knew who I was, obviously. Um, And so maybe he was real instrumental in getting me down to Atlanta. But, uh, yeah, Coach Moore, Jim Moore Jr., um, you know, he he was a DB guy, uh, grew up coaching DBs and you know being a coordinator and so you know he ended up getting the atlanta falcons job and you know i was his first draft pick and even to this day almost twenty years later 18, 19 years later i was talking to jim the other day so i mean we're still super super close um, and it was a you know it was a special time for sure but uh... you know it was it was when atlanta was kind of the hip-hop capital of the of the world man music was going big down there obviously michael vick And that whole, uh, you know, Michael Vick experience was kind of going through the NFL. He was on the cover of Madden. Um,
0: He was essentially the face of the NFL at that time. He was NFL.
1: Absolutely. I remember we got sent to play in a preseason game in Tokyo, Japan. And we were playing the Colts. And it was dubbed like Michael Vick versus Peyton Manning. And, you know, Marvin Harrison, Dwight Freeman, I mean, all these other stars, myself, Keith Brookin, Patrick Kearney, we had our stars, they had their stars. But it was Mike versus Peyton. I mean, we all knew it. And just to see the hundreds and hundreds of media at the Tokyo Dome just all gathered around Mike and, 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 and Peyton, it was it was crazy. I mean, it was it was a time where, I mean, he was a rock star for sure. Everywhere we went, it was like walking, it was like you hear about the MC Hammer uh, trips and Deion Sanders right. going to games. It was like that with Mike for sure.
0: He was in his fourth year when you got there. Yeah. Mora, I believe, was in his first year. His first, right? uh-huh. uh-huh. And he said he was a DB guy. We've talked about Jim Mora before. By the way, Jim Mora has been in here on the 900 Club okay. in Manhattan Beach. He lives in the uh, area. No doubt. Uh, you know, doing some stuff for ESPN and eventually going to get back into coaching, I'm sure. But you said Mora kind of gave you free reign, didn't he? Yeah, he did. It was a little bit of a gift and a curse.
1: Um, you know, it was a curse because as a young player, not really uh, – not really understanding how the league worked Um, and being such a good player, you know, I kind of felt like I, you know, rules didn't apply to me sometimes. And, you know, it was good and bad. Uh, You know, it brought the best out of me. It allowed me to kind of be myself. I was always kind of a free spirit and I always loved talking trash, Um, whether that was in practice or in games. Um, I got a lot of penalties, which, you know, wasn't always good for the team at times, um, but I was a young player. You know, I was a young, selfish player who, you know, no matter what the older guy said, Jim kind of let me be me. And it was almost to my detriment. Um, but he was always able to rein me in. You know, either him or Mike or a couple other guys who were um, kind of Virginia Tech guys who, um, you know, who knew me and I respected what, you know, they were always able to kind of rein me in. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I remember one story we were – going on a team outing and Jim was like, everybody has to ride the bus. And I'm like, man, I got my, I got this new Ferrari, man. I'm not <laughs> riding this bus. And, you know, I let the top down on my Ferrari and, and, you know, everybody's expect or everybody's expecting Jim to be like, man, get your young butt out this car. You riding with everybody else. Jim hops in the passenger side and we take off and, no go, and go to the out. And so, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just things like that. But, I always brought it on Sundays and I think that was something that that was kind of instilled in me early that if you go out there and you ball and you make plays and you help us win games um you know we can kind of accommodate
0: the you know the foolishness from time to time there there are not the same rules for every player no. on on a football team no. you had to plan a trip to Vegas yeah. for the DB group yeah <laughs> and yeah. that had a crazy ending, didn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a an <laughs> unreal ending. Um so instead of really hazing the rookies, you know, they they want to haze your pockets. So as opposed to haze you physically, we're going to haze your haze your bank account. And you know, I was a top 10 pick, so you know, I got had a little bit of money. And you know, my 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 older guys, my veterans in the room was like, "Look, you got to buy all us uh, flights to Vegas, book, uh, set the rooms up, book the rooms, and you got one night out. You got to take us out one night. We're gonna party. We're gonna do it up. And I'm like, all right, cool. So, we have actually two rookies that were drafted that year, myself and then um, another DB. Michael Jenkins. Well, no, not the first round though. Oh, okay. Uh, we had Etric Pruitt. Gotcha. Um, who was who was drafted a sixth rounder, I think, out of Mississippi State safety. And you know, obviously, because I was the first round draft pick, I, I was like, "Look, I'll pay for everything if you set it all up." So he set everything up. I he was your traveling everything. secretary yeah, for that yeah, trip. Yeah, Be, It was either let's split it. <laughs> hey, or set I'm sure it up. he was fine with yeah, it. By the he way, was, he was absolutely fine with it. Um, and so he set it up. You know, I paid for everything, and we get to the club, and I can't even remember what club we at because this. This has since been gone. That's 16, 17 yeah, years ago. oh my goodness. It, I mean, the club might even not All exist All I remember now. is David Hasselhoff was beside us, living it up, partying, and Paris Hilton was on the other side, and um, I mean, the bill came back probably about, I don't know, three, four grand, um, and I went to go pay the bill, and just from in the midst of just partying and having a good time and just interacting with everybody, um, she snatches my bill. and. Who? Paris Hilton snatches my bill and nah don't worry about that. We, and I'm like, no, 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 you know. And we going on a back and forth, and then I finally I just, you know, you, relented. Right, you, you got it. And one of my homies at the time was like, you know who that is? And I'm like, you know, nah, you know, she's hot though, you know. And <laughs> and they're like, man, that's Paris Hilton, da da. da, da. And I'm like, oh, for real? And by the time I knew it, she had already taken the bill, paid the check, and her and her entourage was kinda out the door. I always thought that was a pretty cool pretty cool way to end my uh end my rookie year for sure.
0: And that was your first trip to Vegas.
1: Yeah, my first trip to Vegas.
0: And by the way, that was yeah. that was the heyday of Paris Hilton. Everything yeah. the Kardashians are now yep. Paris Hilton was. was kind of the original. Yeah. And then in terms of Q rating and name recognition, she was one of the biggest stars in the world at that
1: yes. time. Yes, yes, she was. I was I was only a couple months, had turned I turned twenty one in November. Our season was over, uh mid mid-January, so it was probably out there February. So to say I barely remember is an understatement. (laughs) So if you get my drift. No, I
0: get you. No, I get you. That rookie year, is that the year you guys went to the NFC championship game?
1: Yeah, that's the year we lost to uh, Andy Reid's Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, A a T.O. list uh, Eagles team, by the way.
0: Because his ankle was hurt. His ankle,
1: yes. That was a game we should – oh, my goodness. That's the one – regret in my career um, and I you know if I've never went back and watched the game um, but I know I just approached it like another game like I did not know the magnitude of of what was going on I didn't really realize man I'm a game from the Super Bowl because I've never been back I've never been back to that moment and 14 years of, of, of playing and of, of trying to get back to that is like damn if I'd have known, you know, the sense of urgency because I was right there on the cusp because I've always said that's what that's what kept bringing me back was I I, I, I want to play in the Super Bowl. Like I don't even care. If, I, I care if I win or lose, but I want to experience that one time because to cover it in the media, be around it and see it on TV is such a such a grand event. And to be a part of something like that, oh, my goodness. Because I know if I ever was a part of it, it was nothing that I wasn't going to do to win that game. And so that's why I'm not saying I want to win a Super Bowl. I just want to play because I know if I play, um, I'm a damn sure win for sure. I mean, I'm going to leave it all out there. But, yeah, to, 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 to be that close as a rookie, and in college I ain't even playing a BCS bowl game. You know, I played in the diamond, and we joke all the time, all the all the all the analysts and stuff. I'm like, dude, I played in the Diamond Walnut Bowl, the the, the Insight.com Bowl, um, and the and the Gator Bowl. The Gator Bowl was a pretty good bowl, but I mean, two of those were on a baseball field, and one of them, both teams were on the same sideline, and we played Air <laughs> Force, and they didn't throw the ball but twice. And so, yeah, my bowl game experience wasn't very very good um but as a rookie to be in the nfc championship game and it's like a bcs bowl you like what this is pretty easy and definitely under uh underappreciated that moment man but you know is that one of the i could do that again is that
0: one of the things the 36 year old d hall would go back and tell the 20 year old d hall
1: cherish this more this more absolutely absolutely and even just cherish cherish just so many of the relationships along the way you know I think I was so tunnel visioned early on to be great you know to prove everybody wrong to be great because even though I was a top 10 pick you know it was a lot of people that didn't know who I was you know I think Jim just fell in love with me um him being a DB guy and I also think Michael Vick being there and being from Virginia Tech probably didn't hurt if Mike was somewhere else I probably don't end up in Atlanta who knows um but You know, I just think it was the perfect storm. And so, you know, even though I was a top 10 pick, I still have always felt through the course of my career that I never really got the respect I deserved. And so it's always put a chip on my shoulder to just grind. But, yeah, early on, I was so just locked in on being great individually um, that, you know, I probably wasn't the best teammate. You know, I, I would definitely admit that I, I, I was not the best teammate early in my career. Um, it wasn't probably till I got to Washington um, and really got around Mike Shanahan and, and Raheem Morris and, you know, some of those other coaches that really challenged me to, you know, be more than just, a, a, a you know, a, a great player, you know, be more than that, be be somebody your teammates can, you know, can turn to, can talk, you know, can talk to, you know, about certain things. and you know, be a leader. And, you know, that's probably when my whole just approach to the game of football kind of shifted a little bit.
0: I'm sure a lot of the things that happened in Atlanta and then Oakland molded you as you became an an older player. How much did what happened to Michael Vick in terms of the the dog fighting scandal kind of raise your awareness of this could all end tomorrow?
1: Oh man, you know, I think everybody at at that moment in time and you know anybody who was a part of sports felt like oh man like this is this is crazy you know like it can you know we aren't invincible because a lot of athletes feel like and entertainers for that matter anybody with money feels like they can always buy them buy their way out of any type of trouble and a lot of times they end up it end up works you know working out that way and you know it's not always fair um but that's just the way the world works unfortunately and so the whole Michael Vick situation and and what it did to sports it made the athlete the entertainer feel as though look I'm I'm not I'm not invincible you know a human it humanized everybody else and you know I was obviously sympathetic to both sides, obviously knowing Mike and you know being being a you know a pet owner, I love animals. I you know have dogs, have always grew up around dogs. Um, you know I couldn't really understand it either, uh, but I I did feel as though the punishment was a little harsh, being that I knew uh, Michael Vick and selfishly I was thinking about my football team. Like how are we gonna win football games without without sure t- the, the, human know, nature our quarterback. Um, And so it it made for a tough transition um, in Atlanta, and I think it ultimately led to to my departure. Um, You know, I openly supported Mike uh, throughout the whole process because, you know, regardless, just just as a as a as a parent or 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 a sibling that 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 has another sibling who commits a crime, you're not going to stop loving that person because they committed the crime, like. They did what they did. They gotta own up to it and 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 serve whatever um, is, is is handed down to them. But as a friend and a and a person who's known him for years and years and years, uh, you know, I support him um, through the whole process. And so, you know, I don't think. It, it 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 bode well for myself through the whole process. And like I said, I was a young you dude. You mean you supported
0: him? Because you would come out with t-shirts and yeah, yeah, I would and, come and out and with t-shirts and, and
1: things like that. And you know, not really fully understanding the scope of things. Like I said, I just was supporting my friend. Um, and I would do it all over again. But I think, you know, the organization was at a crossroads where they wanted to kind of move away from certain things and, you know, and people. And I was kind of swept along with that, and so, um, you know, my time in Atlanta was fun. Uh, I, I tell people all the time that, uh, you know, I was joking with 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 somebody on on, on their staff, and I was just like, man, why why I don't never get no invite for like all the alumni events and things <laughs> like that? I'm like, I'm probably the second best corner in your franchise history, you know, just <laughs> laughing and joking around. But, um, you know, hopefully I can get brought back into the fold now that I'm. Actually done playing, and um, you know I've all, you know I always root for those guys.
0: Will you ever be back in the fold in Oakland? That was eight games <sighs> in that Oakland, was eight man. Games, you man. signed a seventy million dollar contract know, in I Oakland know, and I lasted know. eight games. I know. What I the know. hell happened? You
1: know, honestly, Al just told me flat and simple. I thought we were going to be better than we were. I can't pay you the seventeen million dollar bonus you got next year, and I was like, okay. He was like, can you restructure? I'm like, man, I'm not going to restructure. Like, I've only got nine of the, like, 20-something guaranteed I'm supposed to get. I get 17 next year. I'm not going to restructure. I'll restructure after I get that 17. And he was just like, we're not going to win many games. Our quarterback's not here." and at the time, the quarterback was Jamarcus Russell. Everything he was saying was making sense.
0: And Lane Kiffin was a head coach?
1: Was, yeah, well, they had just – they had already fired Lane okay. by, that, by that point. Um, but – uh, you know, I was the last guy to basically sign. That was the offseason. He kind of read up a couple a couple guys when he got Javon Walker, who ended up never playing again, I think. Um Jabril Wilson was brought in. Now the Osmoir was playing under a franchise tag at Corner. Uh they had paid Ethnic Sands. Uh I think Derek Burgess had got a little new money. I mean, at that point, I don't know what happened, but I was paying everybody, and I was didn't have nowhere to go. Because uh, the trade didn't work out between Jacksonville, didn't work out between the Giants, didn't work out between the Redskins, and so it was either go back to Atlanta, and we had kind of I had kind of already burnt that bridge uh, with Thomas Dimitrov, who was who was the new general manager at the time, um, or go to Oakland, and so I was like, even though the language in the contract, because we saw that they could get out get out of it after year one, it was still double what I was going to make in Atlanta and you know I thought it was going to work out I thought we were going to be a really good football team we were we were pretty loaded um on defense uh but didn't didn't have the best uh quarterback suited for our offense and so we didn't win many games
0: quick break to introduce you to our presenting sponsor Viore clothing if you have not tried this gear you are doing yourself a disservice because I think it's absolutely fantastic. This is a a new perspective on performance apparel and it's awesome. It looks good. It feels good. They have joggers for both men and women. They have great shorts for men and women. I love their core shorts. They have a, a liner inside. It's one short every sport. You can wear it on a run. You can wear it around the house. You can wear it to sleep in. You can wear it to mow the grass. You can wear it to go to the beach. You can wear it for yoga. The men's core short, fantastic. I also enjoy the Banks. Short, and uh, I'm currently wearing one of their shirts right now. Great material. Um, you can wear it around town. You can wear it to the grocery store. In this day and age, you can get a matching mask uh, if that's your flavor. But vioreclothing.com slash helipod is where you can try this stuff out and get a 20% discount today. That's V U O R I clothing.com slash helipod to get 20% off today. Give it a shot. I promise you you're going to like it. Great gear. This is what I wear almost every day. Back now to our interview with D Hall. So you last eight games in Oakland mm-hmm. after signing a $70 million deal, and that's what's so unique about the NFL. 70000000 million doesn't mean $70 million. You made 8 or $9 there in those eight games. Yep. yep. <clears throat> and I'm a local sportscaster in D.C., And you are from Virginia, and that was kind of your hometown team that you grew up with. Yeah. And you end up coming to Washington, I believe, was it in 08 or 09?
1: It was the middle of the 08
0: season. Middle of the 08 season, and Jim Zorn's the head coach. Uh And I'm like, this is going to be interesting. Because I knew, I didn't know you, but Mm -hmm. I obviously knew of you, and I thought you were going to be— a real interesting addition to the locker room that already had some big personalities, you know Clinton Portis among them. Yeah. And uh, you came in that season. You guys finished eight and eight. Mm-hmm. I think Zorn lasted one more year, mm-hmm. and then Shanahan came in. Mm-hmm. And you had already signed your new deal, which was a big fat deal there for I think a fifty million dollar contract. And you said Shanahan, as you alluded to earlier, really challenged you to be a leader in that locker room.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, you know Mike's whole approach was just holding guys accountable. You know, wanting wanting guys to to give of themselves for the team. You know, he had that old school mentality. Um, you know, Mike wasn't about a whole lot of talking. He wanted you to show him. Um, he wanted you to practice hard. He expected you to practice hard. Um, and in turn, you know, he treated you like a man. He took care of you when you needed it. You know, when you needed to rest, but he worked you hard too um brought in a lot of young coaches that as as a player who was you know in the middle of my career i didn't really know what to think at the time you know i was kind of like man we got all these young young dudes because a lot of them were even younger than me and i was a pretty young dude then um and so you know we didn't know what we were kind of getting involved in uh but You know just watching those guys coach and those guys just kind of handle their business and um just seeing how smart they were you know we knew we had a chance to be be a really good football team um you know we just we just had had to do the little things you know we had to consistently do the do the little things and that's what i think in the long run um we 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 just as a team couldn't do um you know we had a player at the time albert haynesworth who uh, was probably single-handedly, you know, what Aaron Donald does now to games. Uh, He was a
0: wrecking crew when he was with the Titans.
1: This dude, when he was in Tennessee, was a wrecking crew, uh, but of much bigger stature. Right. Um, And we pay, you know, what gets lost, well, I guess I should say the reverse. My contract kind of gets lost in the fact that that same offseason, he signed a $100 million contract. Um, one of the biggest ever and so you know the expectation was for this dude to be the savior Um, at the time you know you alluded I signed my deal the same time as Albert Hainsworth it was under different coaching different schemes Um, so Hainsworth was then asked to be a 3-4 nose tackle as a instead of a uh 4-3-3 three, three technique. The 4-3-3 three, three technique gets to make plays. They swim move. They go get the quarterback. That's Warren Sapp. Uh, the 3-4 nose tackle Takes is, on double teams. Yeah, mm. Tony Saragosa. Yeah. Nada. Just sit there, be a big force, take on double teams, just get hit. And that really wasn't Albert Hainsworth's cup of tea. He wanted to go make plays, which I could understand. I wanted to go make plays, too um uh, playmakers want to make plays and so just that friction um, and not having him buy in really really interrupted what would have been a really really good team uh, but even nonetheless you know we move on a couple years later and we get rg3 who is similar in i guess fan hoopla as michael vick was um, and so immediately the comparisons start being drawn. This fast, mobile quarterback who can also throw it, um, and and Mike and Kyle craft this, and Sean and Lafleur and all those guys on
0: this. All those young coaches you were yeah, talking about who are yeah, now successful yeah, head coaches yeah. in the league.
1: They craft a game plan, a scheme that's you know new to the NFL. You know just the whole rpo and the read option and drift route which is like the skinny post bang action off of that i mean it was it was ingenious to watch um them kind of orchestrate that because it was right after kind of the wildcat had just taken shape and so um you know, but we didn't immediately have the success. And I'm going through a whole synopsis uh, synopsis of just like the seasons, but we didn't have the success. We thought we was like three and six and everybody was like, oh man, here we go again. And I mean, that team runs off, I think seven in a row. Six
0: or seven in a row. Seven yeah.
1: in a row. We make it to the playoffs. We got a home game. We won the division. We got Seattle right as they're starting their run of their dynasty. We got them on the ropes. I'm talking on the ropes. We up 13-0, and our quarterback, who I just spoke about, who's running this scheme, and we, you know, we starting to look like we we know what we're doing. Tears his ACL, and then that's the, the that that's when I guess that's Kirk, the beginning Kirk, of the end. That's, that's when things just imploded with and Shana and Shana Kirk Cousins and Washington. Became, yeah Kirk yeah. Cousins kind of we start figuring out who Kirk Cousins was. A did you
0: bit. did you remember what Fred Davis dubbed RG three? Uh-uh. Black Jesus. That's how big he was in D.C. He was a city that was starving for a quarterback to lead that team back to the promised land. That rookie year was unlike anything I had ever seen and at it that did, and point.
1: Remember, like I keep saying, it did not start very well. Three and six, right. if, I, if I'm
0: not mistaken. It started well for him, though. Like, he came out of the gates yeah, quickly. You guys had a game in New Orleans. There's that... There's that shot of him on the ground with yeah, his arms raised first in the air.
1: Throw, his first career throw is to Pierre Garçon for, I think, 80 yards. Yeah. So you're right. And that's the first throw. And that's the iconic picture. That's it. Yeah.
0: And yeah. he he was amazing. They, they guarded him. They protected him from a PR standpoint. It was nearly impossible to get a sit-down, one-on-one interview with RG3. And then once he tore that ACL... And he went back to Shanahan and said, listen, I, I want to be a pocket quarterback. I'm not going to run anymore. And they're like, well, let's let's work our way to that, right? You can mm-hmm. still run a little bit. And then they butted heads. And that was the end of Shanahan and then eventually the end of RG3 starting. And um, and then you, I mean, you outlasted everybody yeah. in D.C.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I don't know how I did, um, but... Yeah, you know, that whole RG3 Shanahan deal, you know, it was kind of weird to us in the locker room because as players, you're like, you know, come on, man, like, be a team, like, team player. And, you know, because we're, you know, especially myself, at that point in my career, you know, I'm the ultimate team guy. And so, you know, I'm going trying to figure out the pulse of the locker room, trying to figure out how we can be a better football team and win more games. And, you know, to hear that a guy's not – Giving, give him, giving of himself for the team is, you know, it's like, what? Like, what you mean you going in there talking about we just won 10 games and you're saying you want to switch how you You want to play? change it. Yeah. Yeah, like, we're trying to do what you do well, not, you know, not anything else. And so RG rubbed, you know, a lot of guys the wrong way when that happened and You know, I think it started, like you said, the beginning of the end. Yeah, but it more so started that rift between Kirk Cousins and RG3, and who was better for the team. And you know, especially because they wanted to change the offense, it was like, all right, well, maybe you're not the best option for this style of offense. And as we saw, it ended up, you know, ultimately being Kirk Cousins.
0: You uh, you made a nice transition. I I think eventually you can be what. Ever you want to be, whether it's a general manager, whether it's a head coach in the NFL. And I know that's a path that you're going to carve out at some point. But you've made this transition. Last year, you're Fox, you've been with NFL Network this year. Um, I, I think you knew what to expect for the most part because you did, you visited all these different networks, you talked to everybody, mm-hmm. you had multiple different offers. But what's different? What's the, what didn't you expect looking at the league from this lens?
1: Hmm. What did not expect? Um. I mean, I don't think anything really surprised me. You know, Dan. I think I was pretty much ready for ready for it. You know, like you said, through the course of my career, I've kind of always enjoyed the media. I hosted shows. You know, every off season, I kind of made it a point to get out. And you know, I think what makes me so different, well, not really so different, but what makes me who I am is like I try not to. Make it personal. I try not to make it about me. Uh, you know, I try to talk and I try to analyze as if I'm talking about myself on that on that screen. And if I got beat, the world seen I got beat. Me saying I got beat is not what a player gets mad about. A player gets mad when he feels as though the analyst makes it personal. Um, you know, instead of saying your point you know, what happened and then moving on. Um, you know, I've been on the receiving end of many, I felt like, personal attacks. Um, and it puts you on the defensive as a player. And and having been a player and then being in the media, you kind of know that side and you understand that side. And so, I just think I'm authentic, you know. I try to be genuine. Um, and, you know, whatever I say, I, I, I mean. Like, I, I don't, try to sugarcoat it, I, I just kind of say what's on my mind. I I guess it's a gift and a curse, but um, it seemed to work for me. Uh, players respect, you know, some of the things I say and um, the guys who don't agree with me totally still, you know, respects my opinion and I respect their opinion. And that's what I think I've matured in just understanding how to deal with people. We're not gonna always agree, but you're entitled to your opinion, I'm entitled to mine. And over time, we'll tell who is was right. And, um, we all want to be right. Do you find
0: yourself softening the blow a little bit with guys that you know? I don't, and that's what I
1: think is a little different. That's what, you know, when I first got into media, me and Josh Norman had kind of got into it a little bit. And, you know, I guess he wanted me to do him a favor and call him and instead of saying, you know, what I said. And I'm like, Josh, I was— asked a question on TV and I responded to the question like you want me to say let me call you let, let, <laughs> let me let, let me answer that tomorrow let me call Josh first <laughs> um, and so he understood where I was coming from I understood uh, you know 100% where he was coming from um, but anytime when a comments not directed in the most positive light we all gonna have a problem with it no matter who is directed toward um, and I've, I've learned to understand that um, but, you know, like I said, I try not to be too personal when I'm critical of people, because like I said, I want, you know, I, I was once in those shoes and I understand what it's like, especially playing corner, you know, I play a position where, you know, you can get embarrassed in a heartbeat or you can win the game in a heartbeat. So it's not like playing, um, you know, uh, you know, position where you, where you can hide a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm out there on the edges exposed and, um, you know, I'm comfortable being in that position.
0: Right. All right, a couple quick hitters before we let you go. Lamar Jackson is what in five years?
1: Uh, still doing what he's doing.
0: Still running around like he's running well, now. Well, yeah,
1: running, but still throwing that thing, too. Like, still being who he is, an electric dude at the quarterback position. You know, I don't think he's become just a drop-back passer. I think he's still using his legs, and he's still using that arm, too, and he's making plays in five years.
0: Odell Beckham is
1: what in 5 years. Mm. I hope I hope he's a he's a more mature uh well-rounded receiver, man. Um just so gifted of an athlete uh you know, but just seems to always be in in the wrong wrong place at the wrong time, man. But I like I like OBJ, man. I want nothing but the best for him.
0: Best wide receiver that you played against in 14 NFL seasons? Oh, Randy Moss. No doubt. Randy Moss. Ain't even close.
1: And I played against Jerry. Jerry was old when I played against him, but, yeah, I'd have played against a lot of dudes who got gold jackets, and Randy Moss is at the top of my
0: list for sure. What about the best athlete you've played with not named Michael Fick? Mm.
1: Best athlete I've played with.
0: So many good ones.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Probably uh, Sean Taylor. And I won't even say played with because we only played together on like a Pro Bowl roster. But, man, he was a freaky athlete. Freaky athlete.
0: Safety at the size that he was. Oh, um,
1: could run like he could. Just athleticism, ball skills. Yeah. Yeah, he
0: was. I, Covered him in college and obviously with the yeah, Redskins I before had you got there. Too. Yeah, he was amazing. What about the last thing that you Googled as we sit here?
1: Mm. What
0: was the last thing I Googled? I ain't
1: even got my phone. Let me check my phone out. Let me see. What was the last thing I Googled?
0: I'm always fascinated by this with people, because it could be, it could be anything. It could be directions.
1: Oh, I was watching, um, I was watching ESPNU and they had these high school hoops tournaments. Everybody who knows me knows I was a big basketball dude growing up. Thought I was gonna be the next Allen Iverson. I'm from down that way. Um, And so love, love basketball. And it was a high school tournament on uh, and it was, Every every game had a connection somehow, and so uh, Paul the Six is a high school in Virginia. Sure. Paul the Six was playing, I think uh, Sierra Canyon, which was Bron in them team, right. Bron's son team. Bronny out here and, in LA. Yeah, it's, but the games in Massachusetts, the tournament, and so that game was on. So I was watching that game. Then I was watching another team. Uh, So on on my Google is a dude named Jeremy Roach, who was a point guard at Fairfax, who's going to Duke, um, or the point guard at Paul VI, who's going to Duke. But I was trying to see how tall he was. He's six feet. okay? Because he was out there flying, Um, (laughs) but yeah. So I was watching that, and it was a couple other games. Um, My little cousin goes to uh, McEachin in Atlanta. They were playing Mount Verde, who was the number one team in the country. Uh, and then it was another team, Oak Hill, who was in Virginia. Powerhouse, historical to. powerhouse. Yeah, Melo, Rondo. Uh, they, they were playing, I think, Bishop Gorman. And so it was a lot of the top high school basketball okay. teams in the country. But that was the last thing I Googled. Oh, Jeremy Roach. Shout out, Jeremy Roach. He should be at Duke um, when this thing airs. I
0: love it. I love it. <laughs> Looking up these high school hoopers. Okay, two more. Best advice you've ever received and worst advice you've ever received. Oh, man. These are thinkers because I know you have to go way back over that. Let me see that long career that you've had. Do you, do you put a lot of stuff in your advice? phone? Advice,
1: I do. Like if I if I get like a good quote,
0: um, I will throw it in my phone for sure. Uh, I'm a big list maker. I will put lists in my phone of of things that I read and things that I hear.
1: I even started my book, man, on my, on my phone: the life and times of a shutdown corner. Are you writing a book? Yeah.
0: How,
1: how, I, I, how far I into it are you? I ain't, I ain't that far into it. It's just, <laughs> it's just, just was on my mind one, one day and I was like, man, let me get this. So you will
0: you, will you type it out in your phone with your, with your thumbs or do you type it out on a laptop on your notes there and then it's in your phone? I'll do my phone. I'll do my phone.
1: All right. Uh. Play the game with the players you have not the players you want which i thought was real like
0: where'd that come from
1: i don't know i don't know i don't know where some of this stuff comes from it's just like i just have it sometimes like if i see it on anything um i could be watching a tv show i could hear it um i could read it in a book And wherever I'm at, I just drop whatever I'm doing. And I'm bad about, like, referencing where I got it from, which I should do a little bit more. Um, Here's another one. 25% of people don't like you and will never like you. 25% 25 of people don't like you but could be persuaded to like you. 25% of people do like you but could be persuaded not to like you and 25% of people will like you no matter what and will always like you. And I was hmm. like, man, like, that's, that's kind of profound because you can't impress everybody. Like, some people are not going to like you no matter what the hell you do. Right. And some people, yeah, you might can persuade to like you, but why would you want to persuade somebody to like you that doesn't like you? And then 25% of people can be persuaded not to like you, but they like you now. And right. then 25% going to rock with you no matter what. Worry about that 25%. Have their backs, because they're gonna be the ones that have your back.
0: It's funny, because I hear that and I say to myself, well, so you can have 75% of the people actually like you, but you have to work a little harder to get that. So you take something different like than I think from that. I'm like 75% kick rocks. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my 25.
1: Yeah, you'll take it. I'll take the 25. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I'm one of
0: those 25 for you, man. Hey, D. Hall, thank you so much, my man. I really appreciate it. Have a good week. Anytime.